Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts today. Brian Christofferson off eating a Toblerone somewhere. Yeah. Looking at watches. Opening bank accounts. Looking at pocket knives. Hopefully picking me out of St. Bernard. Possibly. All of those things. If you if you could figure out where in the world Brian Christofferson is, well, we gave four pretty obvious guesses. But, yeah. uh, or he's, hints, I and, should say. And he's just very... Down the down the road down the middle. No, yeah. not making any opinions on anything. That, that's BC to a T. You know, very neutral. So, all right, you got the two of us today for Old the podcast, school. and uh, it's a throwback to a simpler time before there was three. And you know, we're not recording off of a phone sitting in the middle of the table. So we've we've come a little ways from that. But Brunt, how are you? I'm I'm well. Um, we can certainly meander like we used to through a variety of topics. Um, if well, you if you want to, to I, really I set the mood. To. Uh, before we jump into anything too serious, where do you come down on bat flips? Oh, I'm pro bat flipping. Um, th- this is a, a a pro bat flip podcast. I think I don't want to speak for you, but um, oh, I'm very pro bat flip. It's it's the one off in you know the land of Swiss Miss that uh, is. We don't know about. Yeah, I'm I'm very pro bat flipping. One of my favorite YouTube rabbit holes to go down are uh, Korean baseball bat flips because they are epic, and I think that Major League Baseball needs to embrace that because it's uh, I, I'm pro bat flip and I'm anti unwritten rule of baseball, which I think are among the dumbest things ever. Have you mentioned this to Darren Erstad ever? Well, so last year. There the was, Altavilla thing? There was the thing with Angelo Altavilla, um, and he was Erstad was actually asked about that this year, about where he came down on bat flips after the whole Bryce Harper thing. And he said that he was okay with it as long as it didn't upset the pace of the game. So, so if you're flipping your bat as long as you're moving in the direction of first. So I think as long as you don't stare a home run down while you flip, it's okay. And Cam Chick went around the bases in about 17 seconds after he hit a home run. And I asked her, said after that game, I said, did you tell Chick, you know, did you tell him to slow down at all? And then he reiterated the point that he was, he was not, he's not anti bat flip. He just wants the pace of the game to continue. So amazing that that might be something to watch going forward this season. What's the football equivalent of a bat flip? Is it Antonio Brown with the, the first downs and pointing and dropping the ball? Yeah, I mean it's probably like a like a Randy Moss mooning the crowd celebration, <laughs> Not the right? That was a great moment in football history. Well, bat flips are great. Oh yeah, but I mean that only ever happened once. Bat flips happen a few yeah, times. Yeah, I mean, or like a Joe Horn cell phone celebration, like you're going for very specific uh, touchdown celebrations. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, those are just examples that came to mind. Is it is it the same as a guy running down the court holding up? Three fingers and celebrating doing, after a three point, doing the forehead yeah, thing. Is that the same? No, because that that's more common. I mean, it it would be like that but would be it like feels a, like the same. The guy made a big play, but that would be like if a guy bat flipped every time he hit like a senile single. I mean, you've seen Yasiel Puig. Yeah, I bat flip in softball on Do my seeing eye singles. And if I know I've just dunked it over second base, which is where I try to go, <laughs> that bat is just flying through the air towards the dugout. You do, you, you do like kind of like the fishing reel release with the bat? I haven't done that one yet. <laughs> I have not done that one yet. All right, well, uh, probably enough about bat flips, unfortunately. But uh, as as you now know, this podcast very pro 
bat flip. Well, where do we want to go with this? We we got we'll talk some baseball a little bit later. We'll talk some basketball a little bit later. We're gonna jump back to football here, kind of finish up what we saw with the spring game, what we saw with the spring in general. Here's a question that I've been getting a lot because of the Jakeem Green edition. Okay. Do you think we're going to see a lot more 4-3 this year? Well, Eric Shenander says he's not a 3-4 guy. That's that's the line, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> three three years of calling it's like, it's like, well, I could defense. Ca- I could count, but, um, yeah. you know, I, I think that they will use it situationally. I don't think that they're going to get away from what they do. But, I mean, you have another guy potentially in that defensive line that – you can rotate through there, and they want to play a lot of guys, and and they want to move guys around, and they love that versatility. So, I mean, I I think it just gives you more options. I don't know that it necessarily is going to upset the apple cart with what they do. But do you think that any of it would have to do with the fact that they're actually pretty low in terms of inside linebackers, so you could be protecting your depth issues there by playing more guys up front? That could be. I mean, it's so if you if you go to a four man front. What 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 is your what does your linebacker group look like in that situation? Do you do you have Mo Berry at, at at your mic? You have what probably Alex Davis on, on the outside too. I mean, do you, do you move Colin Miller outside because you're probably not going to have JoJo Doman out there in that situation? I guess my idea is if you'd have four down linemen, you'd probably have a little bit smaller, quicker linebackers. So you'd have Doman, Ferguson, Barry, but you'd be pretty small at yeah. the point of attack, even with four down linemen. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't see him doing it very often. It's just one of those things that has come up. I know since Green had committed, and and people kind of wonder if if that just opens the door for more of the the four three, which I I think they were always going to play regardless of Green. They were going to play more four three, but I just don't see it being a you know more than ten to fifteen percent of your your real look. I still think they're going to be a pretty heavy base three four team. What what other questions have you gotten a lot over the last week or so i mean it we both do a lot of radio um but but what i mean it, it was kind of a blah spring game if we're being honest um what, what do you i guess what are people wanting to know because it's it it doesn't seem like to me that we learned a ton out of what we saw last saturday uh one of the more consistent questions of what does a second year for adrian martinez look like with Scott Frost and Verduzco in comparison to what we've seen in second years of, say, Marcus Mariota and Mackenzie Milton? Is it fair to assume that sort of a jump? And is it harder to assume that sort of a jump with the question of the skill players around him? Do you think it's fair? Do you, do you think it's... I think it's... I think it is. I, I really do. I mean, I, I think he has a lot of talent. I think we've seen over the course of the last year that he can be a pretty special player. He's made throws that, honestly, you you haven't seen a lot of at Nebraska. And he has a dynamic ability as a runner that we saw at times to to be pretty dangerous. And frankly, he has all of those talents, but it's just highlighted by a pretty smart offensive design. Like, I just think this offense does such a good job of creating openings that I'm not saying Nebraska can just plug and play and replace Stanley Morgan and Divino Zigbo. But I just don't think it's going to be as hard to replace their production 
from a stat standpoint where it's going to be harder is when you really need that first down, when you need that long ball against Ohio State, who's that guy going to be? And that, I I know that's a similar, but it's it's different in some ways too. Those people have to emerge. The I think it was Damon Benning brought this up on Twitter today that I, I it was something that I really hadn't considered, especially as it kind of relates to Nebraska's running back room. And I, I don't know why I hadn't considered this because it seems you know pretty straightforward. But you know when when you're talking about guys coming in to this offense, especially at that running back spot. You're looking at you know Dedrick Mills having to contribute, you know pretty quickly uh, out of the junior college ranks. But you know this is a guy that's played in an option offense at Georgia Tech, where you're probably looking at you know eight guys in the box pretty regularly. You played junior college ball at Garden City, where it was basically this is the offense we're going to run. Um, line up and stop us. And, you know, in a lot of his games, I mean, it's, you know, nine guys in the box. And he's going to be coming into Scott Frost's offense where it's all about spacing. It's all about creating mismatches. It's all about numbers and, and getting numbers advantages and, you know, setting up opportunities for cutbacks and, and things like that, that. That it's going to be a completely different setup for him in a good way that maybe allows his ability as a runner to shine a little bit more, even more than it already has, because it's just a different kind of setup. And I I think it kind of speaks to the point you're making, too, of, you know, there's the pieces there around him and and just the way the offense is designed, I I think really kind of is going to allow those guys to shine. Yeah, I really hadn't considered just the the sheer difference of what the box would look like for somebody like Dedrick Mills and Nebraska's offense versus Georgia Tech's or even – Garden Cities, but that is uh, certainly something to consider. I just really kind of want to fast forward to fall camp. I don't because I enjoy the period of time where we don't have to. Yeah, so you just blowing through summer, huh? But if we could, I really am so curious how some of these guys like a Ramir Johnson can look on the field at the same time as a Wandale and a JD Spielman and or a Dedrick Mills. Like it's a it's tantalizing just thinking about the different weapons that they're going to have at their disposal and how that has to force a defense to defend things. I mean, we're going to be headed to a season of which there's reasonable expectations, in my opinion. Uh, but things could look really interesting in a hurry. I mean, if they if they click as an offense early in the season, they get through that initial non-conference slate and then you got Illinois before you play Ohio State. I mean, if you're sitting at four and one or five and zero oh after September, the talk around here is going to be pretty loud. And it, it, a lot of it is, you know, because of the offense. But of course, the defense is going to have to show up too. If, if they get to four and one, five and zero oh at that point, are you immediately booking flights for Indianapolis? Would no, you? because I, I think the Big Ten West is going to be really hard this year. Not necessarily because there's a super dominant team, but because I think they're all in the same. Yeah. I don't know outside of Illinois who maybe I'll eat my hat or my words or my foot, whatever it is. AJ, AJ Bush is gone. He can't, can't hurt you anymore. <laughs> I, I don't think Illinois is going to have the horses to, to survive in the rest of the division, but you could make a solid case for the other six teams as potential of winning that division. I mean, I, I think Purdue is maybe the least likely of the six um, because of what they have to replace. And I'm not a big Sindelar guy, 
uh, in terms of their quarterback play. Well, you're a big David Blau guy. Well, this is a David Blau podcast. We like bat flips, <laughs> and we like David Blau. Yeah. Um, so it it really isn't going to be interesting for what that Big Ten West looks like. And I, I mean, Wisconsin's going to be one of those teams that they're going to be different too. They're not going to have a quarterback that's pretty much a two on the one to ten scale anymore. So what does that mean for them? Is Jack Cohn going to be the guy? Is Graham Mertz going to take it as a freshman? Is Graham Mertz going to do a lot of what, you know, Adrian Martinez did with a little bit more steady of a system around him? So, uh, and then, of course, you have Iowa, which. Pencil and eight and four in that race for Kirk Ferentz. And then that game on uh, Black Friday, which Nebraska fans suddenly need and want more and more every year. So I just think that division is going to be really tough and the team that i think is the hardest to peg is minnesota because i could see them winning that division as ridiculous as that might sound i I think they the way that they finished after they made that change on defense last year led me to believe that minnesota was going to be they could be something this year if they get their quarterback position figured out because they were kind of a mess last year right yeah, they, were, they have they some were, weapons at receiver. Young. Yeah, and they have. Uh, they've always had some pretty interesting running backs. And yeah. You give them. I mean, Carter Coughlin's a good defender. You give them a good defense or a good enough defense in the Big Ten West. I mean, they're they're going to be a challenge. And uh, you know, I went from a guy who didn't believe PJ Fleck was long for the Big Ten to. I mean, he still might not be because he could have enough success that he leaves. But he's a better coach than I was going to give him credit for. The, the, this is going to be a big year for them, though, because... Oh, yeah. I well, mean, there's expectations. Though. Right. I mean, the, the way that they've You're finished... You're at a year zero. There's no more year zero. It's not year <laughs> one. It's year three. Because if you if you come out and struggle, if you're P.J. Fleck this year, you're going to need to start circling the boats a little bit. Because, yeah. I, I mean, the, Jeez. that whole... He what? just drops it in there and is so happy for himself. That Because, uh, I mean, I, I think the there's a shelf life to the the rah-rah thing if you're not winning. And, you know, it's kind of getting to that point up there, I think, where, where people are wanting to see something. Yeah. For, oh, yeah. Um, and that's a fan base that, I mean, they'll be interested, but if you don't start winning, they're not going to show up. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know. That'll the, be an interesting game in October for sure. It will be. I, I think Purdue will be okay. I think that's going to be a tough game just because it's going to be on the road. Um, Illinois, I mean, they're probably going to be starting a freshman quarterback. Um, this coming you year, Williams, I think so. Juice, think so. Um, really juice, but he could be juice. He could be. Uh, All their good quarterbacks have to go by Juice Williams, right? Like that's the rule. <laughs> that's yeah. that's what they look for first when they're evaluating quarterbacks. Do they have an Aurelius Ben. Is your last name Williams? <laughs> your last name's Williams. You're not that tall. All right, you're in. I don't think that Lovey Smith water skis quite like the Zucker did. I don't think Lovey Smith water skis at all. Could you imagine how big that beard would be if you got like some lake water in there? Anyways, clean it's like, it out. It's like a, a sponge. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, the, the West will be intriguing. We can get into that a lot more throughout the summer. Yeah, there, there'll be time for that. But do you want to do you? You had a game for us. Do you want to do that game before the break or after? Let, let's do it now. It's not a game, but just some some word association. Kind of Kind of a game. This is this is as close to a game as we're going to get. So, a little word association out of spring ball. Five, five things. Just uh, first thing that comes to your first guy that comes to your mind or position group. Um, some word association. Underrated, right now. Safeties. I I think that they're going to be a real strength of the team, and they may not be underrated anymore, but they certainly were going into the spring. 
Um, and I don't know if people are going to talk about them as much as we have. Maybe they have. I don't really listen to anybody else because we're so great. But um, I, I would go with the safety, sir. Who will be your give – give me your two deep for what that looks like for game one at safety. I'm curious to see because I think the starters we can kind of agree on. But uh, Markel and Deontay, then probably Eric Lee, Cam Taylor. That's your two deep. With Cam Taylor playing elsewhere. Okay, so but, no Cam Taylor. But, but I mean, he, he could be on the two deep. But if I'm he's saying, healthy, C.J. Smith is going to be in there. Okay. Um, I don't think he will be by that point. Yeah, but. and it's, that's a tough one. But they really like C.J. Smith. Um, he was going to play last fall until he got hurt in that Northwestern game. Yep. And or he was going to play the back half of that schedule, uh, so I wouldn't I wouldn't toss him to the side. Because uh, yeah, he didn't he didn't do anything in spring, right? I I never saw him dressed out for practice no, or anything. He like, was yeah. he would you'd see him walking around, but he wasn't ever yeah. was never dressed out. Okay, next uh, crucial crucial position player. Crucial's the word. Well, Adrian Martinez. He's a we, we'll straw give, that we'll give you a drink. We'll give you bonus points for non-Adrian Martinez answer. Okay. Mo Barry. You don't have enough depth at inside linebacker as it is. He's kind of the heart of your defense in terms of an emotional leader. I think that if you listen to Barrett Rude closely, he's a guy that's made a pretty big jump, which is good for Nebraska because if he can be a productive inside linebacker, if he can eliminate some of the mistakes he made last year, if he has guys in the right position – set up to do what they're supposed to do. A good Mo Berry could equal a better Nebraska defense. He has to be, though, right, given the, the depth concerns at yeah. that spot? I mean, am I cheating? Sure. No, that's fine. That's a good answer. Yeah. I, I applaud you for the non-Andrew Martinez answer. Uh, most improved? Position or? Most improved. God, I don't like this. I you, wanna, could do, you could do player, too. Tailored if you want. a little bit more. Bonus points for player. Um, I think that. Well, Narrow it down for me. Here's the most improved for you. Okay. Damian Daniels. I, I think that where he's at as a player now in his second year, expected to help the third year with the team, second year that he'll be playing, he's probably made as big a jumps in the offseason as just about anybody because his conditioning is going to be better. His strength is better. He's spent a year under Mike Dawson. Now he's with Tony Tuioti, who really seems to like him. He's got his brother around, so I think his mindset is good. I think his attitude is good. I think the expectations for him are going to be fair to high, and I think he's going to be able to meet them and exceed them. I, I was surprised that Tony, Tony Tuioti said later in the spring, somebody asked him in the group what uh, what Damian needed to work on, and he said conditioning. He said he still wasn't there yet, which I was I, that surprised me because I, I I think that he's he looks different, right, a lot different, and. That's. I mean, if they get 25 snaps out of him in game, I think they feel pretty good yeah. about that. I think some of that, though, is going against the offense that they face every day in the spring. Yeah, that's true. He's never going to look probably as conditioned as what you want <laughs> yeah. uh, compared to the guys that are running a play every 15 seconds. This is true. Uh, concerned. Running back. I mean, if only because you didn't have anybody really practice this spring that you're going to depend on next year so. Um, am I concerned that they won't find anybody? No. Am I concerned that it may take them a few games before it really kind of sharpens out as to what they're going to do? Yes, because we saw that last year, and they were a better team when their running game was better. And so if, if Dedrick Mills doesn't hit the ground running, so to speak, or Ramir Johnson, 
um, or you know whatever happens with Maurice Washington, that offense is limited. Your wide receivers aren't nearly as good as they were last year, we expect. So really, that's not even a fair statement. You're, you don't have Stanley Morgan. So you need your running game to be a little bit better. So the concern there is, is just based on what they didn't have coming out of spring. Does, does the Greg Bell situation last year give you pause but before saying that you know running back is going to like these guys coming in are going to you know really take over that spot? Yes and no. <coughs> Excuse me. I think that you have to divorce yourself of people that have failed from similar roles. Because these guys are all different, and why Greg Bell failed is going to be different than why Dedrick Mills would either succeed or fail. Uh, so nobody's in the same category in that regard. So I mean, I I just don't. Because if you felt that way, then you would think that you know certain things are going to happen because that's how it's happened in the past. I, I just I don't view football in that lens. And uh, this isn't really, I guess, uh, who left you position group or player left you wanting more. You, from the spring not because you either because you didn't see it or you know you you saw something that you're like okay this guy's got something you can take that two different ways i guess well i mean probably wide receiver i guess because i i mean Cade warner had his nice long catch as he did last spring Cade warner is going to be reliable dependable i think he's going to be one of Nebraska's top four receivers in term and by receivers I mean pass catchers anybody um, in terms of yardage and targets next year I, I feel pretty confident in that beyond him I would have liked to have seen Jaron Woodyard haul in that pass from Luke McCaffrey the the first one I, I would have liked to have seen guys make plays and I don't think we really did um, we saw the tight ends were involved and I think that's good and I think that's a good sign um, but I'm still would love to have seen more from Hunt and Woodyard and Williams and some of those guys. But I, I think that that might have been my answer almost regardless. And some of it is I saw a lot from Mike Williams last spring and it didn't translate into right. much into the fall. So what does it really matter? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's my that's my list. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to get into the roundtable that happened on Monday with Nebraska's basketball assistants, hit a little bit on where that roster is at and how things are shaking out. Nebraska had another transfer in basketball yesterday. So we will touch on all of that. We'll get into a little baseball. Maybe Brunson will have another game for us on the other side. doesn't look like it, but maybe he'll create something really quickly. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What did you learn in your time over there? I mean, I know that's a very open-ended thing, so you just... Yeah, so I'm, so I'm just go. go. Um, well, I spent the bulk of my time with Bobby Lutz and uh, Matt Abdelmassi kind of talking about uh, a variety of topics. I mean, with, Cruton? with Matt, it was mainly Cruton. With, uh, you know, Bobby Lutz is interesting. And, you know, he, he's his job is special assistant to Fred Hoiberg. And you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? And 
basically it's everything. Um, you know, he's handling scheduling for Nebraska. He uh, told a story about when he was at Iowa State, he handled all of their scouts, all their opponent scouts. When he was with the Windy City Bulls, uh, he handled all of their opponent scouts. When he was at NC State, he handled all of their opponent scouts. So he he said, I like to watch film. And <laughs> I was like, well, that, that seemed kind of true. Um, but, I mean, that that's what he's going to be doing for Nebraska. I mean, right now he's going through and kind of self-scouting what's on the roster right now. Uh, going through, and he said he was watching just religiously NBA playoff games to see if there was anything that Nebraska could incorporate uh, into their roster. And so he's going to be that kind of catch-all guy for them, basically doing everything but going out on the road recruiting or that he's allowed to do NCAA-wise. So, you know, I, I think he's going to have a big role in, in kind of forming what this team's going to look like. And, you know, the, th- the thing that's interesting that, that he talked about with Fred Hoiberg was, you know, they, they just really clicked. And Bobby Lutz was basically running Fred Hoiberg's offense before Fred Hoiberg was at Iowa State. Um, played a lot of, you know, four guys out, uh, wanted guys that could sh- shoot at every position, and just really they clicked stylistically. And, um, you know, Bobby Lutz said that he would have stayed – he was only at Iowa State for a year, and you're kind of like, okay, well, what happened? Well, he said that his da- he's an only child. His dad had a heart attack in North Carolina where he's from, and he basically had to take care of the family. And he said he would have stayed at Iowa State for a long time if he would have been able to do that. But, you know, situations didn't allow that to happen. So uh, he's going to be real key, I I think, for the X's and O's portion, a a guy that Fred really uh, values. And, you know, with Matt Abdelmassi, you know, if you're kind of breaking up roles, I mean, everybody's going to recruit, but his job is to basically go get players. I mean, that's – what his job is. He's the second highest paid assistant in the big 10 right now. And Fred Hoiberg said, you know, Matt was the, the most important hire that he's ever made. And when, when a guy like Hoiberg says something like that, you're kind of like, Oh, when he was at Iowa state, but when he was with the Timberwolves, because oh, wow. that, that's, that's how they got. That's where up. the connection started. Yeah. Cause he, uh, Abdul Massey was like an intern in their personnel department when Fred was there. So he talked a lot about, you know, how they play the transfer game, what they want to do with this class and kind of build, building this roster. And, and, you know, they're going to have to look grad transfer a little bit more now than they would normally just to fill out the roster because we went through and did the math. You've got either five or four scholarships available uh, depending on what Isaiah Roby does. But they want to get 10 scholarship guys that can help them on the floor next year, uh, get two or three guys doing the sit-out transfer thing and, and bring them back the following year. Uh, ready to go so you know that that's kind of the the goalpost that they're aiming for and now it's just a matter of you know trying to sift through the transfer portal right now and seeing if they can find guys who can help them and they've done that so far already hosting uh three transfers last week they're gonna host a few more this week as well so um you know definitely a busy time and and you know actually i I think a good time for nebraska to kind of reshape their roster because everybody says oh How's Fred going to do this? You know, this is what they did at Iowa State. This is what Matt did at St. John's. And when you're taking over a a program that struggled the way that Nebraska did last year down the stretch, I mean, why you probably want to turn the roster over. That's it. That's everything. Yeah. What do you got? 
So one of the first things that jumps out to me as the staff was assembled is that you're basically putting a ton of faith in one guy to be your prime recruiter. See, but but Armand Gates is that he, like he recruits well too. Does he? Yeah, like he he was the architect of that class that Northwestern put together that basically got him to the NCAA tournament. It was a top thirty class in Northwestern, which I mean that's miracle work. But I I think he's a, a strong recruit. I don't know how much he was really able to. to he was of, only here for a short amount of time, so I don't want to be like, oh well, what did he do at Nebraska? Like right. He, in basketball recruiting, it takes years. Right. Well, he was. I, one of the primary reasons I think that a cola rope stuck with his his commitment. If that, I mean, Gervais Green too. I mean, he, right. he was part of that that effort as well. So I mean, we'll see now that he's you know here and seems settled for a while. Yeah, it just it feels like a lot of the optimism is going to be banked on um, Abdel Mass's ability to get these transfers, and I get it. Like that's, I mean, that's what they did. Mm-hmm. It's just. Uh, Initially, it's just one of those things where it's like, well, if this say this doesn't work in year one, you don't have guys stashed away for 2020, 2021. Right. Like, is this how ugly can it be before it gets better? It's sort of how I feel about it. No, that's fair. I mean, they that first year at Iowa State, they went 16 and 16, and, and it was, I think they probably punched above their weight a little bit that year. Um, and, you know, they released the Big Ten schedule yesterday. They got no favors. They only they only go – you got Michigan State and Purdue once. But they play – At home. Some of the bottom teams that don't play that often. You only have one game against some of your comparables, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I – It's a tough conference. Like, I, I think part of it is that – um, I look at next year, I don't see them winning more than 14 games, and part of that is because I think the Big Ten is going to be pretty good again. Yeah. And it, Nebraska's players, while I really like Burke, and I'm excited to see what Green can do, you don't have a big man on your roster aside from Brady Hyman right now. And they're going to have to find some grad transfers who they're probably going to be scraping a little bit to get some depth in that regard. Uh, right away next year. But you also got to find some guys that can play for you in two years as big men. And I don't know exactly who those are going to be. Well, they, you know, it's going to be interesting for this year because, you know, I I think the one thing that Nebraska is going to be for for teams, especially if they can play the way that Hoiberg wants to play, is is they're going to be stylistically a little bit of a change-up for what teams normally see in the Big Ten. I mean, it's not... Michigan State plays with a lot of tempo, but there's not a ton of teams in the Big Ten where you know you're you're trying to get as as you know as many shots off as you can, or just really kind of trying to push the pace. They're gonna play like Iowa, right? Is what you're building to here. But I I, I think they would even want to play a little bit faster than Iowa too. But I mean that same idea that like you've yeah. got four guys that can knock down a shot from anywhere, or ideally five, but. Um, you know, that just that kind of change up, I think, will will help them a little bit. I mean, I'm sure that Nebraska fans are probably a little skeptical sitting there thinking, okay, we're going to be a team that's going to make a bunch of three-pointers? Like, what's that going to look like? But that, that's the idea. I mean, I, I know I'm the one pouring some skepticism on this. I do think You're slathering it on. It's going to be – it's going to work. I, I expect that it's going to work. I just think that there's so much of this expectation that – because of who he's hired, because of 
Fred Hoiberg, like it's going to work quicker than, and because Tim Miles had success in year two, I think the expectation is that Fred Hoiberg should have things set up for the same way. And I, I don't necessarily know unless they really pull a couple interesting sit out transfers, what that's going to look like in a year. But I, I mean, overall, I'm excited to, for the direction of this. I certainly am excited for the quality of basketball that is coming here. I look at Illinois with Brad Underwood, and I think he's a good coach, um, despite God, how their defense feel. is a mess. What is that? <laughs> their defense is such a mess. Right, but I, I mean, you're talking about tempo. Like that's a place that they're gonna try to play even faster than they have. They're to me a team that's going to be kind of one to watch next year as to where they're at. But he's a similar, not as prolific as Fred Hoiberg, but coming from the the Big 12, taking that style, bringing it here, and it's taken him, you know, a couple years to, to get this thing rolling. Um, so I'm, I'm just throwing a little water onto the... Jeez, you're just... It's just a wet blanket. Yep. It's, uh, it's a big soggy, <laughs> soggy, soggy blanket. <laughs> what, uh, and, and I know that... Brian spent more time with him than you did, but what did you hear from Doc Sadler when you went through the audio and you saw what came out? Oh, I mean, it's it's Doc. I yeah. mean, that that's I. You really have to give Doc a lot of credit for the job that he did at Southern Miss because I don't know that he could have walked into a worse situation in terms of NCAA issues, just complete mess of a roster uh, from what Donnie Tendall left in that place. Um, and he, they improved every year. I mean, I, he, for Hoiberg, he's going to kind of be their defensive guy. I mean, that that's what he wants him to do. And, you know, I, I think if there's one thing that I, I believe, I think doc can coach defense pretty well. Um, he didn't say anything about tennis or baseline to baseline or Thank anything God. like that. But I mean, he's, uh, a guy that, that is respected by everybody on that staff. And, and I, I, the the one thing that a couple of those guys mentioned was doc is is really good about he's a good like team guy to have on your on your coaching staff because he he's good at kind of keeping it light and you know college basketball can be a grind and uh having somebody like that is is good it, it's i i'd forgotten this too but uh Abdul Massey was telling this story that doc Sadler told him that he had gone 45 days one time without taking a drink of water it was basically like that is so unhealthy and so wrong. It was like he he said that the only water that he had was the ice that was in his diet Mountain Dew. So ridiculous. He's got to have like kidney stones the size of like a basketball. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's funny I and mean, it it makes sense because it's Doc Sadler and it's one of those things like if you hear that about a different coach, you're like yeah, I don't believe it. But yeah, that guy. Yeah, you you kind of take it as to as to be something. Any of the the names that you've seen that Nebraska is looking at or has hosted or hosted this past weekend, any of them jump out to you more than others? Well, I mean, it, it's they stood out. I mean, the the pair of guys that they hosted from UNLV, um, you know, those those guys to me would kind of fit the bill of that sit out transfer that could come in. Um, you know, basically work with Hoiberg uh, and and get a little bit more out of their games before you know that they're coming in and having to really, um, you know, be counted on. Um, you know, just getting Gervais Green in the fold, I think, is big because you you look at what 
what they want to do. They want to shoot a lot from the outside. They're going to need guards that can rebound because, you know, as much as you're going to be able to do with, you know, just having, you know, going through the transfer portal and finding guys, I think you're really going to need your, your guards to be able to, to rebound and kind of hold their own a little bit more than you would otherwise. So they need know, a point guard. Yeah. I mean, the, Burke, I th- they like Burke. They like his competitiveness. And, and actually, Matt Abdel Massey said that they had tried to recruit him at St. John's um, when Nebraska was getting involved with him as a um, transfer from Robert Morris. Yeah. So, you know, that they, they like they like him, but, you know, I, I don't know that he's necessarily the kind of guy that's Not a long term answer yeah. at point guard. Um, I don't think they have a long term answer right now at point guard, which is why somebody like Cam Mack that they've been recruiting was at St. John's is a really important part of what you're trying to put together. But I, I'm just, I'm really curious what that roster construction is going to look like. Um, I'm just kind of curious to see how that first year goes and who's on the bench and who we're hearing reports of and scout stuff. Also the, the Bobby Lutz and Doc Sadler thing is really kind of interesting because you essentially have three head coaches on that staff. It's a lot of guys yeah. who have a ton of experience. And they've done it before, which I think has to, to make you feel pretty good mm-hmm. if you're a Nebraska fan looking at this, which is um, the cohesiveness of that group should be able to come together pretty easily. Which, if there's one thing that we've learned at Nebraska in the last, I don't know, decade, is that you kind of want your, your staff to be on the same page because when they're all pulling in different directions – doesn't work real well. Yeah, and, and kind of going back to the to the visitor thing, the one guy I didn't mention, you know, Maurice Clue, the transfer from Oklahoma State, that kind of had an interesting exit from there, um, being accused of vandalism, and then he was going to go to Cleveland State, and then reopened his recruitment. I mean, six foot nine, two hundred twenty five pounds. I mean, that those are the kinds of guys that you have to get in your program because you know it's not a traditional back to the basket center, but you you can you know play a couple of those four type guys i think mm-hmm. and have some success so um you know it'll be interesting how it shakes out i mean you've got cam mack who was originally signed uh to, to st john's he's going to be visiting uh coming up here and you know the the other big ones this weekend i mean you've got deandre davis coming in uh, as an official visitor who's already committed to you in 2020 class trying to keep him. So, you know, they, they really got to have a lot of balls in the air to try to fill out that roster. Yeah. Well, we'll certainly see where that's at. Speaking of balls in the air, Nebraska hit some yesterday that even left the park. So hit on Nebraska baseball for a brief couple minutes here before we jump out for the week. Yeah. Um, that was a big win for them, not because of the opponent, but just to avoid another midweek loss, to avoid some noise, to get some runs on the board after being shut out by Kansas State after a quiet weekend, which they swept, but a quiet weekend up in Pennsylvania. Yeah, no, and it, it's, you know, the midweek games are sometimes just slogs. Like, you just want to get through them. You don't want to burn your pitching for the weekend. And, and for Nebraska, you know, they had travel issues coming back from Penn State, didn't get back till late on Monday night. You, you come out and really just kind of get dominated by K-State on Tuesday night. Uh, and, and last night, you, you – you have your two freshman pitchers walk eight guys in the first two and two-thirds innings, but you still come back and win that game. I mean, 
you, you kind of get out of the park as quickly as you can and, and move on. And you, you had some guys swinging the bats well. Um, finally, you know, this was the first time since the Purdue series that they, they were, you know, double digits and hits. And, you know, we're, we're going to find out, you know, I, I think the jury is still out on Nebraska, even though they're, you know, first place in the Big Ten right now, where they're at. Because you've got Illinois, uh, Northwestern, Michigan, Arizona State coming up, plus a really tough series at Iowa this weekend. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, they, they can lean on pitching, but the bats have to be a little bit more consistent in some of those games because it's been a little hit or miss, uh, pun kind of intended, uh, over the last few weeks. And, you know, I, I think they have the talent to be competitive in the Big Ten and potentially win it just based on their schedule. But I don't know that they've been tested in the last few weeks in the way that they're going to be over the last half of the, the conference season here. Yeah. I think that pretty much sums up baseball to to a T. I mean, it's a lot of wait and see. They've got things set up to where they could have a really nice postseason bid too if they just go and win out. Yeah, and it's I, I think you as you know as much a question as there is right now about the direction of you know the season. I think you have to feel really good about the future because so many of these guys that are contributing in the lineup. Uh, they're going to be back next year, and they're big pieces of that right now. And, and you know, I, I think there's a lot of confidence about this class. Do you have a favorite amongst those guys? Um, I think Cam Chick's going to be a, a guy. Is it the last name? Part of it. I, I think the fact that he can play third base, second base, probably shortstop. Um, he's got a little bit of power, but, I mean, ideally, I think you'd have him batting leadoff with his speed. And, you know, he's just – these young guys – they just kind of have a red ass attitude about them. Like red they, ass. They, they play hard and, and they, they've got a little edge. And that's something that I think the program has been lacking for the last few years in, in any kind of meaningful way. All right. We'll finish up with some very important questions about Easter candy right here. <laughs> Would you rather eat a Cadbury egg or a peep? Oh, the egg. Do you like Cadbury eggs? No, I just hate, I hate peeps that much. When you were a kid, did you ever get one of the giant chocolate bunnies? Yes. Did you finish the whole thing? No. Has anyone ever finished the whole thing? How How did you eat the bunny? Did you start with the ears and go down? Yeah, probably. I don't think I ever probably made it below. Did like, you start from the side like some sort of monster, no. like you're playing a harmonica? No. No, I, I, I think that this podcast is very, I, I'm not, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think this is a very pro bat flip podcast and a very, this is, this is not a peep show. Not a peep show. I'd eat them. I don't like them. I mean, if someone gave me one and they're like, here, have this, I'd probably eat it. But they're just not good. Did you ever have, did they do this at Columbus High where you had the the science experiment where they put a peep underneath like a pressure vac and like blew the thing up? Like they made it like really big and expanded it. And then that, that maybe that was just a Millard North science thing might have been a miller north science thing the only science thing i can remember from columbus high is we made tie-dye t-shirts once <laughs> in science class yes yeah, chemistry class i think I'm, I'm almost positive of this and i'm probably not the guy to ask anyways because i took some some elective science classes that weren't very challenging we'll put it that way but um what did you take t- would you would you have eighth, eighth period t-shirts uh no my t-shirts class i think i think in chemistry as juniors you made uh t-shirts i think what what was the the chemical reaction that you were studying i don't know 
you need to, we need to explore this more in future don't podcasts. Don't ask me questions about my science career. T-shirt aficionado Mike Schaefer. <laughs> Do you still have it? Do you still have the title? Uh, I guarantee it's somewhere in my house in Columbus. Oh. Probably in some trunk. Bring it. You could probably make it. You, you could do a t, uh, tie-dye t-shirt sweater vest bet with BC. When he Mine turned back. out pretty bad. Well, if that one doesn't fit, I can just check with Mike Babcock and get a couple of the Grateful Dead ones. This is true. Wear one of those to practice someday. All right. Well, as always, check out Husker 24-7. Plenty of stuff recruiting-wise. Just wrote about Javon DeWitt and update as to what to expect with him for recruiting this spring as he continues to his fight with cancer. Uh, we have updates on some other recruiting stuff as to where the coaches are at. We'll still have some more football coverage as we go through. Brunt will have some basketball things, I'm sure, uh, coming out of Monday, as well as stuff from the visitors. And then baseball coverage throughout the weekend, too. Everybody have a good holiday weekend, and we will be back with you next week.